And so we're going to be going through First uh, Timothy now over the next few months. And so today we're just going to kind of give you an overview of the entire epistle. And that's my job this morning, to give us an overview, kind of see where we're going, right? Hopefully give you some help here and just kind of seeing the big picture of First Timothy. Uh, but we're going to start looking at the first uh, few verses next week uh, with our brother James. So I just want to read these three verses here. I really th- think these verses are the theme of this epistle uh, in First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. In fact, Paul tells us, right? He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. Right? But if I'm delayed, I write, and this is why he writes this letter, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Let's just open in prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you too for your precious word. We're thankful too for thy Holy Spirit. And we are thankful for his ministry and helping us understand the truths of God. And so we would pray again this, this morning, but even as we go through this series, that your Holy Spirit would um, just um, teach us uh, truths from your word. Um, that you would just illuminate our hearts and minds to what it is that you want us to, uh, to understand of thyself, to understand of your church. And so, Lord God, we ask you again to bless um, the reading and the teaching of this letter here in 1 Timothy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. An advertisement read this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness constant danger safe return doubtful honor and recognition in case of success that advertisement that i just read to you it actually appeared in the london newspaper and guess what thousands of men responded what i didn't tell you is it was signed by the noted arctic explorer sir ernest shackleton and that what was made the difference. I thought about that, and if Jesus Christ, right, had advertised for workers, the announcement might have read something like this. Men and women wanted for the difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You will not see or may not see the results of your labor. And your reward will not come until after your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. Now in spite of the demands that he makes, I think Jesus receives applications who gladly give their all 
for him. And he is certainly the greatest master from whom anyone could work. But the task of building his church is certainly the greatest challenge to which a believer could give in this life. It's the biggest challenge. You saw there in the verse that we read this morning, one of the main things of Timothy is how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. How do we build his church? And very much like the advertisement years ago in the London newspaper, I would say the advertisement is the same today. It's not a joy ride. <laughs> Certainly it comes with blessings. There's fellowship. There's encouragement. But there are challenges, especially probably now more than ever. We're going to look at that as it's amazing the things that Paul says in this letter that you think, man, was he living today? Timothy is the one whom Paul is writing to. Timothy was a young man who had responded to Christ's call to help build his church. Timothy was one of these ones who accepted this application. Timothy tackled some of the tough assignments in the churches that Paul had founded. Remember, Paul had founded a church in the city of Ephesus. Paul spent three years there. And now he is leaving Timothy in charge. And he writes to give Timothy instructions. Timothy was brought up in a religious home. Remember his mother and his grandmother. We're going to learn about them. Timothy had been led to faith in Christ by Paul himself. I'd like to consider Timothy and even Titus. These two brothers, they were really New Testament troubleshooters. That was their job. They were left there in Ephesus by Paul to troubleshoot. Paul had founded these churches, had taught them, and now there were going to be things that came in that was contrary to what Paul had taught. And Timothy has the challenging job as he's got to troubleshoot. He's got to identify those things, correct those things. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that Timothy was faithful to the Lord. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that Timothy had a deep concern for God's people. And so no wonder Paul would choose Timothy for this task. But in spite of his calling, his close association with Paul, and all the spiritual gifts that Timothy had, you're going to find out that Timothy was easily discouraged. Timothy had physical problems. You're going to read that in chapter 5. Something ailed him. He dealt with physical ailment. He had periods of discouragement. It's clear in you reading in this, in this letter here that some of the saints were not giving him the proper respect that he deserved as God's servant. Sound familiar? And listen, the church at Ephesus was a tough place to serve. But I thought of that, right? I'm like, are there any easy places? Not when you have the people of God. <laughs> There's no easy places to serve. 
Ephesus, there was no exception. Eh? The city was devoted to the worship of Diana, the goddess of sexual instinct. Her raunchy images helped promote sexual immorality of all kinds. Satan had his workers in this city as well. Paul had his workers. <laughs> Satan had his as well. And so again, remember, wherever there are spiritual opportunities, there will always be satanic obstacles. Always. Don't neglect that. Every time there are spiritual opportunities, there are satanic obstacles to that. And so when we look at this book, this letter here to Timothy, okay, the theme clearly, as we just read, is the house of God. The house of God. Mike Atwood uh, said this, that the house of God is a witness to divine order in the midst of satanic disorder. Say that one more time. The house of God is a witness to divine order in the midst of satanic disorder. The house of God is so important. In fact, Mike Atwood shared this too. I thought it was pretty neat was, you know, when we went through the pandemic, there was a lot of discussion, right? Question as to what is essential. You remember that? Maybe some of you have repressed that already and forgot one of those days. But it was, hey, what is, what's essential, right? In order for you to be open, you had to be essential. And our government decided what was essential. And I just thought it was, it was interesting to me that bars were considered essential. Casinos were considered essential. They had to stay open. But the house of God wasn't. Listen, we're going to learn in this letter over the next few months is how to conduct yourself in the house of God is essential. Essential. And so the theme of this letter would certainly be the house of God. And so if we look at each chapter as it relates to the house of God, I'll just quickly give you an outline of these chapters. Chapter 1. We'll, be, we'll look at the house of God and its preaching. The house of God and its preaching. Paul instructs Timothy as to the message that the house of God should be giving. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we're going to look at the house of God in prayer. Prayer. We're going to look at even in chapter 2, there's some gender roles as well. Chapter 3, we're going to look at the house of God and its politics. We're going to look at the government of the house of God. Elders and deacons. In chapter 4, we're going to look at the house of God and its preacher. Specifically to Timothy himself, but it will certainly be applicable to us. And the reason why Paul addresses uh, Timothy in chapter 4, he talks about in latter days, Timothy, there's these things coming. And certainly not only did Timothy experience them, but we're experiencing them today. And so he discusses the kind of preacher that Timothy needs to be. The kind of minister that he needs to be. And then in chapter 5, we look at, we're going to look at the house of God and its people and our procedures. Who are the people that make up the house of God? And and what are the things that we're to do? What are the relationships and responsibilities that we have to each other? To the older people, to the widows, to the elders. And then chapter 6, it's going to be the house of God and prosperity. 
Paul addresses greed and the love of money and the contentment. And so this is kind of what we're going to be looking at. All as it relates to the house of God in the book of 1 Timothy. But anytime you're studying a book, right, you should always look at the words that happen most frequently. Right? That's a great study. When anytime you're studying a book, read through it, and every time you see a word, highlight or underline it. Because a lot of times when that word is repeated over and over again, there's a theme there. And so when you read through 1 Timothy, which I encourage you to do, okay, you're going to find that one of those key words, the word that happens the most in this letter, is the word faith. Faith. Specifically, the faith. The faith. And this is what's really interesting, and Mike Atwood actually brought this to, to light for me too, is when you look at this word faith, almost every time it's mentioned, I'm going to show you momentarily, the word faith is used in a negative light. I'll show you what I mean. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Okay? That word sincere means unhypocritical. There were those who did not have a sincere faith. It was hypocritical faith. And so, there are those sometimes, right, that come into the house of God and they have a reputation. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's a difference between reputation and character. God's not interested in your reputation. God is interested in your character. And so if you think you can come to the house of God and look a certain way and sound a certain way, but when you go home and you talk to your spouse differently or your kids differently or you talk to your fellow colleagues differently, that's not what God wants. That's hypocritical. We all know the right. The word hypocrisy means to wear a mask. So the house of God is not for hypocritical faith. It's for sincere faith. Unhypocritical. Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Paul says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. <laughs> they had professed faith, but now have been led astray. I mean, Paul's writing this in 1 Timothy to, to Timothy years ago, so clearly it was prevalent then. But I, I've never seen, at least in my lifetime, so many people who are renouncing their faith. Like are walking away from the faith. I don't understand it. And maybe it's just because of social media and because it's out there now that maybe we're, we're, we're aware of it now, but there are people, Christian artists, Christian ministers, people who are known in this world who say, yeah, I renounce the name of Jesus Christ now. And you're like, what? What happened? Why are so people, even it doesn't have to be people who are well known, right? Each of us know in our own lives people who have walked from the faith, have departed from the faith, having been led astray. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
We have people who are departing from the faith because they're listening to false ideas. They're listening to false messages. And again, they can go online and they can go to any podcast they want and listen to stuff that you don't know if it's doctrines of demons. And people are departing from the faith. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. (laughs) Strong words from Paul. Strong words that you can even deny the faith by your behavior, by the way you conduct yourself, by the way you act, especially with your family, with your household. In verse 12, it says, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. You see, you see a, a pattern here in this letter? Over and over again. Right? Look at chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. We see that today, right? As people in the church seek the pleasures of this world, right? The love of money, they've left the faith. And then in verse 21, the last verse of this letter, Paul says, by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. And so you see here in this letter, right, every, almost every time faith is mentioned, it's mentioned in a negative light. And so I thought, I wonder here too, what, what are things that threaten the faith? What are things that threaten the faith? Because clearly here, people in Ephesus already, their faith was being threatened. Right? And I think Paul addresses it here. Right? If you look at uh, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. I think one translation says babblings, which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in See, one of the the things that threaten faith is some people love speculative questions. They love it. I want to ask questions all the time. Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Listen, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Don't get me wrong. Right? But what Paul's talking about here is there are people who are not steady, right, in their faith. Someone had said once that they experience paralysis by analysis. It paralyzes them. They're constantly analyzing everything and they're speculative and asking questions and guess what? Nothing happens. It's not edifying, like he says here. Godly edification, which is in the faith. So that's one thing that threatens the faith is just constantly trying to analyze something and trying to ask questions. Now, there, there needs to be a sense of steadiness, a foundation to our faith. 
These people are always analyzing stuff, never making any progress spiritually. Instead of having a settled grounding of truth and living it out. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Actually, that might be the babbling there. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. One of the things that threatens the the faith too is people who use uh, the law in the wrong way. The wrong use of the law. We know a lot of people like that. Right? Everybody, you know, finds some new thing that they 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 hold on to, some some new thing to restrict themselves from, right? Uh, thinking that they're holier than now because they don't do this anymore or whatever it is. That's that wasn't the purpose of the law, right? Um, what you don't eat might make you more healthy than me, but it doesn't make you more holy. These people here, right, they forget that their righteousness is from Christ and Christ alone. You keeping the law and those things, that doesn't give you your righteousness. Faith in Jesus Christ is what gives us our righteousness. But these can threaten the faith. When people think, oh, I need to do certain things in order to have the righteousness of God. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. One of the things, again, that threatens the faith is the teaching that gain is godliness. Gain is godliness. The more successful you are, the more money you have, the more godly you are. Mm, Amen. Amen. (laughs) But look at these TV personalities, man. These preachers on TV. That's what they're preaching. They're preaching, hey, listen, look at me. Look what I have. Right? This is godliness. My God would, uh, he was sharing a story I thought was pretty funny. Is, uh, he was on a plane, flying somewhere. The guy next to him, he uh, started talking with him. Say, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I sell private jets. He goes, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And he asked Mike, he goes, what do you do? He goes, well, I'm a, I'm a preacher. He goes, oh, you're our best customers. Imagine that, right? And my God would say to him, he goes, you see where we're sitting, right? Like they were in the economy like, but he goes, clearly I'm not that kind of preacher, <laughs> right? They're best customers. But that's what they're teaching today. That gain is godliness. And that if I don't have what the rest of the world has, then somehow I'm missing out on what God intended for me. And they depart from the faith, seeking the pleasures of this world. Look at verse 20 and 21 of chapter 6. Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, 
avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And the idea there that, that uh, Paul's talking about is this idea of false science. False science. We're living in a world today where people are telling you, right, that this is true science. And it's not. It's not. Evolution and all these other teachings that kids are being taught today. It's false science. It's not true. I love, um, I love teaching in the public schools because I can sometimes try to get around some of these things. <laughs> Right? But I love, uh, one of the things I used to always love was uh, one of the science uh, topics we had when I taught fifth grade was uh, solar system. And so, of course, a big article there on the Big Bang Theory, right? which I loved. We read that article. It was a great article because at the very end, the paragraph, the last paragraph in the science book said, well, how do we know all this is true? Well, we don't. And it goes on and tells them what a theory is, right? And tells them that it's a theory, Right? And so I always say, listen, does anybody else in my class, does anybody else, has anybody ever heard how else the world came to be? And every year some kid would go, well, didn't God create it? I go, yeah, let's learn about that. I teach the seven days of creation, okay? Uh, right now my curriculum has to do with the earth history, earth history, and so all about the age of the earth, and you know, there could be even some controversy amongst Christians with that, but that's fine. But my point is, what I do is they use the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is a big thing for geologists, and so there's a big thing in the Grand Canyon with us. But I take that opportunity to say, hey, guys, what do you think caused that Grand Canyon? And they're like, yeah, probably some, like, catastrophic flood, Mr. Clifford. I'm like, yeah. Has anybody ever heard of a catastrophic flood? They're like, yeah, wasn't this guy named Noah? I'm like, yeah, let's learn about him. And we talk about Noah and how God flooded the earth, right? But unfortunately, that's not always the case, right? Is that the teachers that are teaching our kids today, they're teaching a false science. And they say that this is knowledge. Like, this is what they need to know. And unfortunately, a lot of kids... Right, are going to college and they're hearing these things and they are departing from the faith. I still remember um, uh, um, Anna Van Wyck. Some of you may know Anna Van Wyck. She goes to Westfield Bible Chapel. She's a teacher. She was getting her master's and she was sharing the out. She's at a night class. She's sitting in her class and the entire class was about how we come from apes. Right? How we need to teach our kids that we come from apes. And so at the end of class, she noticed how everybody got around the professor and they were talking about how uh, so many of our kids have low self-esteem and they were actually talking about, unfortunately, suicide amongst kids and things like that. And she came right up, I loved her, and she goes, listen, I know what we can do to help that. She goes, what? She goes, stop telling them they come from apes. She said, tell them they're created by God and loved by God and maybe we'd see kids with a different perspective. Right? I'm like, Wow. But this is what's happening, right? And, and, and Paul's saying right here to Timothy, he's like, oh, Timothy, <laughs> watch out for this stuff. Watch out for it. And, and the big thing with, uh, like, so it's not just science, too, but like psychology, right? And I won't even get into, you know, psychology. But one of the things that's important with psychology, right, is they want to eliminate sin as the problem. They want to say it's anything else, right? They want to say it's all how your parents raised you and it's, it's because of this or that. Bogus. Because as soon as you eliminate that sin is the problem, then you eliminate the solution for sin. And that's what the world does. You don't need a Savior. Right? And so we got to be careful with this knowledge that the world is teaching us today. It threatens the faith. It threatens it. And so, of course, we know, right, what's behind all these things, right? 
If you go back to chapter 4, we already read it, right? Verse 1, right? Behind all these things that threaten the faith is this wicked, demonic hierarchy that's controlled by Satan. We have to understand that. That's behind all these things, right? Don't be fooled. That's why it's a challenge. It's a challenge to build the house of God, to build his church, because there are satanic obstacles to this. He doesn't want his church to be built. He doesn't want the house of God to function in a way that glorifies him and edifies the body. We have an enemy that's unseen. That's behind all of this. And so, of course, is there a solution to this? Right? We see that there are those who are departing from the faith. We're seeing the things that threaten the faith. But is there a solution to all this? And the answer is, yes, there is. The second word that's used the most in this letter is doctrine. Specifically, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. See, the solution to this departure from the faith is sound doctrine. Sound in the Greek is the same word where we get hygiene from. What you all mean, no means healthy. Healthy. In other words, that which will make a Christian healthy. That's the solution. We need sound doctrine. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Here at Bramford Bible Chapel, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are not going to teach any other doctrine. <laughs> that was what was told to Timothy there. Do not teach anything else. But look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, For fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you see what we just did there? He's shown you what things that are not sound doctrine, what they look like. Not very flattering, is it? Kidnappers and sodomites and liars. and right. These are things that are contrary to healthy, sound doctrine. Look at chapter 4. Verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. You see, a, a good minister of Jesus Christ right, is nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. If you want to be a good servant right, for Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen automatically. You have to be nourished in sound doctrine or good doctrine. Look at verse 13 of that chapter. He's talking to Timothy again. He goes, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. To doctrine. It's interesting there it says reading, right? That... Uh, that doesn't mean he wants Timothy to go have, you know, spend some time reading, right? But remember, back then, you didn't have the printing press yet. So we didn't have all copies of the Bible. So it was actually very, very hard, very expensive to get a piece of parchment, 
that had the Word in it. So a lot of times what they would do in church is they would do readings. They would read from the Word of God. That's what they would do. And so here he's telling Timothy, make sure, pay careful attention, keep reading the Word. Keep reading it to the church there. Keep exhorting. Don't neglect the doctrine either till I come. Right? You can almost hear the words of the Lord Jesus, right? Hey, till I come, give heed to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Until I come. Verse uh, 16 of that chapter. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is an interesting statement, right? Timothy's saved, so why would Paul say, hey, if you take heed to the doctrine, you'll be saved. It's not talking about his salvation, his soul, right? I think this is an important lesson for all of us here, right? He's saying that if Timothy takes heed to the doctrine, it will save him from blowing it. Right? It'll save him from making a mess of his life. Man, how many of us have made a mess of our lives because we got away from sound doctrine? Or we know of people who have made a mess of everything. They've blown it because they did not heed the doctrine. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, stick to that doctrine, okay? Do not teach any other doctrine. And Timothy, you know what? That way you won't make a mess of yourself, but also you'll save the people in your church too. Okay? Keep them from making a mess of their lives. That's what he's saying. You'll save them from that heartache and save them from the baggage that comes with it. Save them from all those things. Just stick to the doctrine that I taught you, Timothy. See, whatever stage you're at in the Christian life, you need to pay attention to doctrine. There's never a point where you go, I don't need this anymore. Every one of us, whether you're a new believer in Christ, whether you've known the Lord 50 years, you need doctrine. You need it. And of course, those who hear it, it'll help them too. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Notice the word labor, right? That Paul associates with the word, right? And with doctrine. Listen, this is another important thing to remember, right? If you're going to study the word of God in order to effectively communicate it, guess what it's going to take? Work. Work. Okay? If you want to study the Word of God in a way that you can effectively communicate it to your spouse, to your children, to your neighborhood, to your church, whatever it is, it's going to take work. You can't be lazy with this. You cannot give God a couple minutes in His Word and then think that you can go teach someone doesn't work that way. And I can tell you personally too, right? There are things in Scripture that are really hard to understand. 
There are some things that I've spent hours and hours looking at and meditating on and asking people for, and guess what? Everybody asks has six different answers. It takes work. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. This is, man, this is... I can't wait till we get to all these. Okay? This is saying this. This is amazing, right? It's saying that the way we act, right, to our employers, right, the way you do your job, okay, can make the Word of God look good or look bad. Wow. That'll make us think twice before we go to work on Tuesday, huh? The way you act at work is going to either blaspheme the Word of God or make it look good. Man. It reflects, right? It reflects not only the name of God, it says, but it reflects His doctrine. His doctrine. If people see you as someone who's a liar, someone who, who cheats and tries to get out of work early, or whatever, I don't know what it is, and they look at your life and it's not consistent with the doctrine, they're like, hey, I don't want that. Why do I want what you have? Yeah, I could care less. I get that every day with these other co-workers of mine. But you should work in such a way that they go, wow, there's something different about that. I want that. But it works both ways, unfortunately. Right? The way you do your job can actually turn someone off from the Bible. It can turn someone off from Christianity. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. How do we know if it's sound, healthy doctrine? How do we know if it's sound doctrine? It will produce godliness. That's how you know. That's the third word in this letter, which we don't have time to get into. Godliness is another theme that runs through this. And that's what sound doctrine produces. Godliness. When you're looking at doctrine, how does it affect people's lives? Does it make you think of God more? You see, that's what we need, right? We need doctrine that makes us think more of God and less of us. That's what we need, healthy doctrine. That's the, the, the remedy, if you will, right? The solution to those who are departing from the faith. And so, Paul could see that some people were departing from the faith. He gives different reasons for that. Right Today, there are some who are departing from the, from the faith for the same reasons. The solution is simple. Teaching healthy, sound doctrine so that the church is solid. Right, So that the church is not blown around or carried away by other doctrines. The church needs a firm foundation And of course, this doctrine should produce godliness in their lives. Also, this book will help us understand a local church's ministry. Nothing in this life can take the place of faithfulness. This book, right, that we're going to look at, 
It's going to talk about how you need to be faithful to the Word, faithful to our tasks, faithful to each other. Right? You may have heard this before. The greatest ability you can have is dependability. Can you be dependent on here in the house of God? So I'll close with this. Just a, uh, It's an unknown source. I don't know who said it, but I liked it. It says this. He goes, this is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service if I, who make it what it is, am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things that I want my church to be. It starts with us, guys. Okay? It's not your elders, not your deacons, not the other person that you're thinking of. It has to start with you. Okay? It has to start with you. And God is looking for people who will build His church. Okay? So I'm going to close in prayer, and then uh, we're going to go into corporate prayer. And so um, I'm going to ask... Maybe Brother Xavier, could you close our time? I don't know, around 12? All right, around 12 o'clock? And now maybe Greg, you can start us off. All right, let's just pray. Our Father, we ask for your help in this. We're thankful for this letter. We're looking forward to studying it uh, together as an assembly here. We're looking forward to just um, how we can produce godliness in our lives. Um, Lord God, we, we want to be those people that when the world looks at the way that we conduct ourselves in uh, on Sunday mornings and even outside, that they'd say, hey, listen, that's what I want, right? Because, Lord, we know that um, with you, uh, that in your doctrines, that we can have healthy marriages, we can have godly families, we can have a healthy church, um, Lord God. And so, but we need your help with this. We understand that uh, every spiritual opportunity has a satanic obstacle, and we know that there's a, an invisible enemy that we fight each and every day. And so, Lord God, we need your help uh, with this. And again, ask for your blessing as we go through this series together. Uh, again, thank you for your help. Even thank you now as we look at the house of God and prayer, how prayer is so vitally important to you. And so we're going to commit these next 15 minutes or so to be able to corporately pray together for the needs of our assembly, acknowledging our penancy on you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.